Let's start out very, very basic. Will a six pack help me as a soccer player? Logically. Why pre-game meals are important. If you do strength training, you can generate more force on the ground. It will take you less stride to get that ball. Until you get there, you can make that up with hard work and dedication and training. On top of it, right? So if you're a player that has little to no training history, imagine the, the gains and speed that you can get in such a short period of time because you're doing things. This is why strength training is important. I don't care how you do your strength training. I don't. You know, some people like to go to the gym. I just wanted to double down on that really quick. The point is, you have to get stronger. Hello, soccer players. Welcome to the latest episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience. It's me, your co-host, Andy, with my main man, Berg. How you doing today, bro? Bro, listen, listen. Anytime Liverpool and Real Madrid win that weekend, it's a great weekend, man. I'm feeling great. I am feeling great, bro. How you doing? Listen, man, anytime Liverpool and Real Madrid both win, it's a terrible weekend, my man. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yo, listen, man, it looks like every single team in England is playing well right now except for Arsenal. That's not a good sign for me, bro. I don't like hey. that. Listen, man, we turn, we, we, they, they'll turn around. They'll turn around. They'll turn around. Don't worry. Don't worry. I don't know, you know it's Arsenal, awesome, though. It, it, <laughs> things never go well for you guys it's been a while damn bro it's been a while all right uh let's uh so today we, we we're gonna talk about something interesting today we're gonna talk about what it means to train like a pro and recover like a pro even though you're not really a pro and you know um we brought a special guest today to do that for us um he's a co-founder of matchbit performance he's a board certified sports physical therapist he's a strength coach and to me, what's more important is, you know, he plays soccer. He plays in the second division of the Cosmopolitan League in New York. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome Erin Seguia. How you Love doing, bro? How, what's going on? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, we, we, we talk to Andy a lot about this. You know, Andy gets all this question about... You know, um, people always want to train like elite professional players, you know, but they have a full-time job, you know, they're either in college or, you know, they, they're doing something else. So, you know, you know, we thought if we, you actually play and you have a, you know, you have a business that you're running. So you, you have a little bit more perspective on that. So that's why we brought you on. Heck yeah. Thank you. Thank you for coming, man. Thanks for having me on. I love to talk about football and everything behind it. It's a passion of mine for sure. Yeah. How'd you get, how'd you get into soccer? Uh, I grew up playing soccer. I started playing at the age of five. My parents actually wanted me to start playing soccer because they thought it was a very minimal contact sport. Uh, uh, <laughs> jokes. So jokes. I, uh, so I grew up uh, just North of New York city in a suburb that, uh, was mostly uh, American football, and there was a lot of lacrosse and hockey players. And I grew up watching the Mighty Ducks, actually. Mm. And I wanted to play hockey, but my mom was like, no, it's too, it's too contact sport oriented. So uh, <laughs> you're going to play soccer instead. And little did my parents know, uh, it, is not, uh, it is not a very minimal contact no. sport. And mm -hmm. it's what we see at the highest level. It's a very physical and demanding sport. So, yeah. That's how I got into it, and I never gave it up. I, I haven't given up, given it up since. That's nice. That's oh, yeah. nice. You know, I didn't have a choice. I, I, I had to play because that was, that was the only sport available for me. Yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's done so much for me in the sense of being able to uh, figure out, help me learn more about myself, like what it means to be a part of a team, what it means to actually train and uh, learn more about myself when I was training as an individual or when I was training with a team. And uh, what's funny is, you know, it's, it's been, I'm 31. It's taken almost like 25 years, like a good chunk of my life to kind of like understand and embrace this whole, like embrace the training and embrace the fact that recovery is super important, but also being able to interact with other players on a team and what it means to be, to really be part of mm-hmm. a great, a great team uh, between communication, between uh, being supportive and uh, not, you know, jumping down your teammates' throats when things go wrong. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been on, I've been on the side, I've been on the, the other end of, on both ends of like, you know, uh, you know, four or five goal wins, like feeling great. And I've been on the other end where we, you know, we're two men down. Oh, that uh, never feels good. That never feels down good. And you're just getting the ball rammed down your throat every single minute. And 90 minutes is, is brutal, brutal. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I grew up playing from the age of five. I played a ton of in-house, like, local leagues. And mm. uh, my career kind of – my career, if you want to call it a career. My career yeah, kind of – Yeah, let's, let's call it a career. Let's, let's we'll call, call it a career. Uh, my career kind of stalled, uh, what was it, like just before high school. So the where the divide is, especially here in the U.S., between pay to play and not pay, not paying to play. Um, my parents are, were first, are first generation immigrants. So uh, I was begging my parents to go play on travel, on a travel team. And they wouldn't, they weren't able to, to provide that platform for me. So my <laughs> my career kind of stalled at that point and it took me a couple of years to make it onto the, uh, the varsity team at my high school where, you know, I really fell in love with the game in terms of understanding what it really meant to train well and train hard and have a coach uh, and a team that was really, really supportive of, you know, somebody at my level that at my level, you know, wasn't great compared to the other players, but I developed a work rate that, you know, uh, that really stuck with me for the rest of until now it stuck with me for most of my life. Um, and then I went on to play club at Binghamton university upstate in upstate New York or in the Southern tier of New York for you, uh, New Yorker for you really hardcore New Yorkers. Hmm. And, uh, I played, I played a winger, um, slash like a substitute, like 11, um, because I was fit. So anytime, every team that I jumped on, they were like, Oh, you've got to, yeah, you could run up and down the field. They're like, you've got a good work rate. Go just run up and down the wing. And I was like, God, this is the worst. Why don't I just pretend to be not fit? um, (laughs) That was fun. But yeah, I had some, you know, I had an amazing career at Binghamton and then I came back to New York city for graduate school and hopped around a bunch of teams, like trying to find, the right fit because admittedly I'm not the most technical player uh, I have a high work rate I if I had to describe myself as a player I guess I would probably describe myself as like the poor man's Ronaldo oh um, my god like, see are you, you lowering yourself that. way too that's way too low man <laughs> <laughs> thank oh. you but I appreciate that 
but yeah, like I hopped around a couple of teams and it took me a while to find the right fit. And so the team that I play for right now, Panas and uh, they're named after a Greek club because uh, I live in a Greek neighborhood mm. in Queens. Uh, my landlord is actually the president of the club. You add like $500 to the rent. If we... Yeah. I was like, I joke with him every time I see him at matches. I'm like, Hey, if I get an assist or if I score, you're taking money off the rent. Right. And he's like, yeah. 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 So, get, that, get that deal going. Yeah, man. Uh, so yeah, I, I play I play on a team that, you know, it's, it's a team. It's, 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 uh, it's tough when you play at, you know, at a non or at a competitive level where you don't get reimbursed or paid to play because yeah. people can't make it to practice. People can't make it to games. People also show up to games, you know, after a long, hard night of work or partying, whichever way you want to yeah. describe it. Um, so yeah, it's a, but it's, you know, I love the sport. I've, I've been involved with it for forever. Uh, yeah. See that that's that is a good segue because this is uh we wanted to get into the main ingredient thing, main ingredient thing. So this is this is the part. This is this is where if you guys weren't paying attention, this is where you know you guys should pay attention now. So it's like this is this is the question that pertains to college athletes. You know, people play semi-pro. Who, you know, play who plays um they play soccer, but they also have a you know another job because semi-pro. You know, you can't really. Semi pro really don't put food on the table like that. You have to have another job. People like me who play in the mark amateur leagues all the time, you know, that question gets, you know, we always think about that question a lot. So what does it mean to to train like a professional player? You know, even though you know you have other responsibilities, you know, your full time job is not being a pro. You know, you what does that mean to you? And I yeah. say, Oh, I wanna you know that we get that question all the time, right? People say, oh, yeah. I, I wanna train like a pro, I wanna train like a lead person. And then they have right. to, you know, they have like two kids they have to take care of after practice. You know, yeah. what, does, what does that mean to you? So it means a lot of things to me, especially as a, as a physio and as a strength and conditioning coach and as a current player, right? So um, the, the important thing to realize is that when we look at players that we see every day in and out on the weekend or even during the week in the Champions League, these players are getting paid millions of dollars to do nothing but train. Mm. Uh, when we think about ourselves as athletes, you know, when we play in a Sunday pub league or if we play in a weeknight, you know, 7v7, um, we don't have that time. We don't have the luxury of going to training and then, you know, hanging around and playing FIFA or playing Fortnite all day. Um, we have to do things to, to, we have things to do. We have kids to take care of. We have jobs to work. And, um, what, and when I have these discussions with clients as a, as a rehab professional, um, trying to get people to understand that maximizing recovery and maximizing the time that you take care of yourself is very, very important. Um, because we get this, we get this drilled into us day in and day out. We want to train like a pro athlete, you know, two or three hours a day. Uh, I need to be dead after the workout. And if I'm not dead after the workout, then I haven't Stacking. done anything. Um, and essentially what that, what happens to us is we put ourselves into this, like we dig ourselves a hole, we dig ourselves mm -hmm. a trench. And um, when we don't maximize our recovery and focus on really basic things too. And it's stuff that people don't want to focus on because it's, uh, it's, it's hard to do. It's, ha it's mostly habit related. Yeah. Give us some examples. Um, 
So like uh, the first question that I'll usually ask most clients is if I could, if I told you that there's a tool that you could use for free and it's almost a majority of your day. Um, and if you take full advantage of that almost eight hours, you can maximize your recovery and play, play very well. Trivia mm, yeah. question. Trivia question. Yeah. I like this. So like, <laughs> so like, what is it? What is it? What is it? I'm like, yo, go to sleep. <laughs> people like people are like, Oh, well I don't, you know, I don't have time to, I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the time to do that. But when we, when we really look at it at its base level, um, your body repairs itself from your brain, from your head to your toes, your brain, your muscles, your joints, all of your tissue basically hits the reset button and goes through these recovery processes and repairs itself uh, when we're asleep. So there's okay. two phases uh, during the sleep cycle. So there's non-rapid eye movement and everybody's familiar with rapid eye movement when we're dreaming and you yeah. know, lucid dreaming or whatever. Um, and when, that's when your brain repairs itself. But non-rapid eye movement is so important because that's where your body actually takes the time and energy to put in the resources into the, the uh, repair process for soft tissue, basically. So, um, so question, question for you here. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of easy to give out the advice of, okay, just get more sleep. But when somebody right. comes back to you and retorts with, I don't have the time, I have school, I have kids, this and that, what's your number one answer to them to, to kind of mitigate with that? My number one response is, uh, so it's different for everybody. The answer is usually it depends for me. Um, but trying to figure out a way where we can maximize uh, that client's sleep is really, really important or maximize my own sleep. Um, so what I'll recommend is uh, trying to set up like a really good habit to get people to start to go to sleep at a reasonable hour. So, you know, uh, four hours is better than none or three or yeah. two. Um, but at least if you're getting, you know, at least two full sleep cycles, uh, and if I can convince people to sleep for at least four to five hours a night, um, solidly, or at least six, five to six, uh, and then I tell them to document, I tell them to keep a journal and write how you feel when you wake up in the morning and how you feel during the day. So it's as simple as a zero to 10, um, you know, how do I feel when I wake up? How do I feel at lunch? And how do I feel at the end of the day? Um, and being able to keep track of those trends um, is really, really important. Because once you, once you see those numbers and you see, okay, if I really dedicate like a week to sleeping at this time and sleeping for at least six hours, I feel like this. And oh, then okay. you use that to, you use that to come look back at prior trends. So if somebody's sleeping average like, four to five hours, you know, they go to bed at 1 a.m., like a student that plays, you know, rec, um, rec ball. And they go to sleep at 1 a.m. because they're playing video games or 2 a.m. They wake up at six or seven to get a workout in. Uh, and then they go about their day or even, a, you know, a, a nine to five. Uh, and their people will notice a pretty significant change in their, the way that they feel, especially when they take care of their sleep. And it's not even a significant, it's free. It's not even a significant amount of effort. You don't have to pay for it. Um, you don't have to, there's habit change, there ha there's habit changes that need to happen. But um, if people really want, they really want it, they really want to play better, they want to function better mentally, um, it's, 
it's simple. Like that's the best way to appeal to it. Um, and it's free 99. So <laughs> it's free 99. You can't, complain, you can't complain about that. That is true. Well, I can tell you the past four years, every time I wake up, you know, I always feel like crap. Doesn't matter how, doesn't matter, <laughs> doesn't matter how much of a sleep I get five hours, four hours. It's by it's, it's always bad. So I don't know what I work on that. I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Yeah, you do yeah, something I'm wrong. Up, I'm, 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 I'm tired. I feel great when I wake up, and if I don't feel great, I just go back under the blanket, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I mean, one of the favorite pieces of advice that I like to give, especially with with athletes that have trouble sleeping. So, here we'll turn this into a little impromptu thing. Uh, Berg, do you have trouble staying asleep, or do you have trouble going to sleep? Both. Both. Yeah. All right. Do you feel like? Do you feel uh, when you have trouble falling asleep? Do you have racing thoughts? Like, are you thinking about a lot of things? And that's why. You <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> what do you? Oh yeah. Okay. Ever since right. ever since I turned twenty eight, man, I've been thinking about life a lot. So. Hey, man. I can't fall asleep immediately. Right. Anymore. So it takes me like at least fifteen minutes to fall okay. back, fall asleep. So the best pieces of advice that I like to give to clients is. Uh, try to go to sleep at the same time every night because our bodies are, are very keen on the circadian rhythm. That yeah, is it is hard, hard, bro. That is hard. <laughs> at the same, oh, that's hard. Yeah. So one is try to go to sleep at the same time. If you can't go to sleep at the same time, try to sleep the same consistent amount of hours. Um, okay. Because again, our bodies are really set on those habits. The last thing is um, try to minimize blue light before you go to bed. Oh, so no so, screen time. I, I, yeah, I'm so pretty minimize good. Your, minimize your screen time, minimize your, um, uh, minimize your screen time, Instagram time, like phone time, TV, uh, and use that to kind of set you up to go to bed. So it's okay. what I call sleep routine. Most people call it like sleep hygiene. So if you can set your brain into this habit, like this time every night I start to get ready for bed, your brain's like, okay, time, like lights are going out in you know, an hour. This is what happens. And it takes time. It's a, ha it's a habit. Um, but man, if you want to get a little bit faster, you want to you know, play the sport that you love and not, have to, not be foggy and not feel like crap every day you work up, uh, wake up in the morning, like this is the minimal investment. Huh. You know? okay. that's, how I pitch it. that's how I pitch it to clients, actually, Andy. It's like, this is the minimal investment. Uh, you don't have to pay for anything. You don't have to pay for wearable. You don't have to pay for any of that. You just try to try to do this, and it's it's just like brushing your teeth, right? Like you, you before you go to bed, you floss, brush your teeth. If you can do that, you can do a lot of things. No, there are nights where I don't brush my teeth. We can't <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I ain't gonna say that, but there's not a, a lot of nights oh, where I floss. But I Dang. mean, we 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 talked a lot on sleep and recovery. What are some other tips you have that you think are super important that you think everyone should be doing? Tracking your training load. Um, so tracking this this training is, load. Hmm. Yeah. So track how you, track your workouts. How do you do um, that? So there's a ton of ways you can do it. Right. Um, the most simplest way that you can do it is you want two numbers. Um, your two numbers are um, you, your duration of like time that you're training. Okay. So whether or not it's playing, whether or not it's in the gym, like the time that you're doing work, and then you're going to multiply it by 
uh, a subjective measure called your rate of perceived exertion. So it's like how hard okay. that workout was from okay. zero to 10. Um, so when I give, when I give this number to clients or this range to clients, zero is a walk in the park. 10 is that's the hardest workout I've ever done at this point in my life. Like okay. I'm going to throw up in a trash can. That's how hard I worked out. And so, so uh, let me, let me, let me, let me see if I get you right. So it's the, so let's say I work, I, I do like, you know, 20 minute, um, ball control drill and then. And then I go play pickup. I go play pickup for like an hour and thirty minutes. So that's it's like two hours of work, correct? Right, twenty minutes. Okay, and then I multiply that by, um, like how how tired or just basically how hard was everything? How hard? Yeah, how hard the total workout was. And you okay. can like, if you want, you can break that down. Like, okay, this first game I was working at you know, a seven at this okay. second game was super easy because they played me in the back. I were, I felt like I was working at a four. Okay. Um, so what you're going to do with all of that data is you want to accumulate enough data to have four weeks worth. And what you do is that you can, you take that your weekly data and you run a rolling average. So for those, uh, there's a researcher based out of Australia. His name is Tim Gabbett and he's done work with premiership clubs. Mm -hmm. and rugby premiership clubs and he's tracked um the likelihood of injury based on what's called the acute to chronic work rates workload ratio so okay. by tracking your workout so if you track your last four weeks mm -hmm. and you divide it by that set like the session that you do the next day so uh it's basically a ratio and you want that ratio or that um that number to sit between 0.8 and 1.8 1.3 1 1.3 1 1.8 and 1.3 so yeah. so i'd say i train like three days a week so I, I, yep. will, I will i will count basically the how long i train and how hard was the training yep. and then um and i multiply that i multiply i multiply the two the, the, those two numbers yeah and, and then i add them um, yeah so it's like so three times a week so i do that every time and then yep. till I get to like a month. Yeah. And then what do then, I, why, why do I have to wait till a month to do it? Oh, I, so, I, get, I get, well, cause you, you get, no. cause that's your chronic workload. That's your okay. chronic, chronic workload. Uh, so chronic workload is basically just a context. It's a context of like how hard you've been working and it's almost like the foundation for what you can handle. Okay. Right. So we talk about, you know, especially in healthcare, we talk about the likelihood of injury uh, in sports. And so, you know, for example, if I stop training for like six months, so like Andy, you're an example, right? You haven't played since before your surgery. So for example, like, let's say in the next like month and a half, your doc is like, oh, you've got, you've got the clearance to walk and, mm -hmm. and do stuff. And you're like, great, I'm going to go play. Your chronic, your chronic workload or your, your, your foundation is gone, right? Because you had the surgery. There's a lot of other external factors that play into it, but we're not going to, we're going to make it as simple as possible, right? Um, your foundation is gone. So theoretically, if you were, your, your level is zero, it's now at zero, right? You're at the basement or the, the floor level. And if you try to go train, you're going to, your, the, what's it called? The acute to chronic workload ratio. Well, you can't divide by zero, right? But technically that, that ratio is, uh, is above, it's more than one. It's hot. It's, uh, it's probably whatever, like it's 
almost infinite. Okay. So your likelihood of injury, yeah, sure, it's high because you haven't trained. Uh, so building up, and we talk about being able to build up to activity and like not rushing into things in sport. This is a great way to quantify that. Mm. So I can understand, okay, well, like uh, I can use this number to determine how hard I need to work. And uh, what's also important to know is that it's not, it's never like black and white or like, oh, well, oh, this number, like this workout that I have is way above the numbers that I should be training. It's just a guide. It's just a guide, but it's a great way to understand where you are and where your body is and how fit it is and start to, to start to listen to yourself. So okay. it, it kind of sounds like this is, it's pretty easy to do, but sometimes at least from my perspective, things like this are also easy to forget to do. Totally. Um, but at the same time, this is what the pros are doing, right? I mean, they might be doing it a little bit more complex with like more science yeah. and measurements and things like that. But mm -hmm. is this what you're saying? Like pro athletes, the kind of measures that they're using? Yeah, absolutely. So there's all, there's a lot of other things that the, the professional league teams are doing. Uh, Andy, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? In the sense of uh, teams that have, everybody's seen players with the sports bras on that have the, that have a little hump. So they basically have a GPS attached to them and a heart rate monitor. I always so, thought that thing was weird. I'm like, why are they wearing, um, <laughs> why are they wearing, why are they wearing, this? why are they wearing sports bras over there? <laughs> like, what is this? Yeah. Um, and you know, for the, for the data and number geek and me, um, these scientists are able, there's data scientists and physios and strength and conditioning coaches that can take these numbers like, how hot, how fast these athletes are sprinting, how many times they sprint per game, how hard they're, how high they're jumping, uh, how hard it, uh, their, the acceleration, deceleration forces are act on their bodies when they change directions. And so, uh, at the pro level, these, these athletes basically have people calculating these things for them. That's but crazy. if you're looking to really do stuff for yourself and start to understand how your body feels when you respond to training, you can take these super simple things and start to implement them. And again, this is what I preach in my practice is getting you to become more aware of your body and make sure that you don't overtrain because I've been there too in the sense of overtraining and, you know, getting burnt out physically and mentally. It takes away from my ability to do my job as a healthcare practitioner and as a strength and conditioning coach. And I play like trash. So like, it's just, it becomes this terrible downward spiral. This is this is great information. I think this will, this is, you know, I have a, a follower who's in India and he will definitely love this because he's that dude that he's trying to go pro, he's training, he's waking up every day at like five in the morning to do his own training and go train with the team. Then after he trains with the team, then he goes to work for like three to four hours. And then his girlfriend's in Spain, which is a different time zone. So he's staying up late at night to talk to his girlfriend. I'm like, how many hours of sleep you get? He's like, oh, bro, I don't get, I don't get it. I don't get enough. Yeah. I'm always getting injured, though. I don't know. I'm saying, you should probably sleep. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, I can't do that. I can't do that at all. I can't do that. So when it comes to that, those situations, there's all these external factors that relate into injury that we deal with as healthcare providers that uh, maybe if there isn't a sleep thing, there's, you know, if we can't really control sleep, there's other things that we can control uh, between nutrition and, uh, you know, uh, 
we can't change his training load, right? So nutrition is one of the things that we can change, we can mm. change and or affect or, um, you know, we can't train his, change his training load, we can't change sleep. So yeah, like stress management too is also very important as well. So I, I think those are two key things that we, we can maybe go in a little bit deeper on. So in terms of nutrition, I mean, we're obviously not registered dietitians, but what, what kind of um, basic tips or basic principles should people really be taking into consideration when it comes to things like nutrition and stress? Uh, nutrition is, is a hard one to come by, mostly because it's so different for every person. Um, trying to the best advice that I can, that I usually give. And again, I'm not a diet, I'm not an RD either or a nutritionist. So, um, I can calculate what are called macros for people. So calculating the base level of what they need to perform. Um, and you can do that easily by Googling a couple of things on, on the interwebs. But, uh, if you're on the theme of listening to ourselves, listening to our bodies, making sure that we're not hungry all the time and listening to how we're performing and uh, it, during training sessions or even during the day and looking at what we're eating. Um, so one of the first things that I give with nutrition is take a photo of everything you eat, everything you drink over a week and Ooh. then look at, how you're look at how your training is during the course of the week. So uh, I have a handful of clients that aren't soccer players that are like, uh, I'm working with an endurance athlete right now who's a, a marathon runner. She loves marathons. And I was like, okay, take a photo of everything you, everything you eat and text it to me. And so she texted me everything for a week. And I asked her how she felt after this one day where she had a pretty long run. And I was like, oh, how'd that run feel? And she goes, oh, man, that was like the longest 13 I've ever done in my life. It was terrible. My, my splits were terrible. And when i looked at her texts of her photos of what she ate that day basically yeah that day she ate an avocado she ate an egg she ate like a small chickpea pasta thing and had a coffee and she was like i felt like trash oh no 10 minutes okay so yeah i mean your nutrition has been is is so important and it dictates how well your body feels itself and not just like days that you're training is also on off days. Uh, and what, what I found working with athletes is on your off days, even though you're not working, uh, you're still recovering. So some days on those off days, you might need to eat more on your off days because your body is in a, in a, in a repair process. That's, that's some great insight there. So you take, so if you don't want to take pictures, you just write down, exactly what you ate that day and then you basically do the same thing that you did for the chronic load right you do 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 you do it for like a week or like four weeks and then look back or it's just like oh i'm feeling crappy today and then the next day you kind of go back into the journal and look at what you eat and say, oh yeah you do, i'll have people just track what they do in the journal so um we you measure food quality by calories right so you can if you know how much relatively your food weighs, you, or you can also estimate portions based on how much food you have on your plate, mm -hmm. you can estimate how many calories you're taking in. So, uh, and what's really important to realize is that most people actually are under eating. Uh, and that's a blanket statement. Really? I hate blanket statements, but most athletes don't eat enough. 
uh, and we address, and I can address, you can usually address it by asking the right questions when you talk to them or even when you're like working with yourself. So for me, I've been trying to, I'm in game, I'm in quote unquote game season. So I've been strength training. I've just been squatting, deadlifting, like doing a lot of single, uh, single like work. And I'm having the hardest time putting on weight. And when I look at what I've been eating for the past two weeks, I basically intermittently fast until like 12 or 2 PM. And then I don't eat my first meal until the afternoon. And then I eat a heavy dinner and then I don't eat for another like 12 something hours. So, so it's um, like, yeah. Um, so does that, does it matter really? What matters? Um, is it the total amount of food or calories throughout the day? Or is it a, a certain period of time when you have to actually eat the food? Because, you know, that, I would say that's kind of hard. Yeah, I would say it, it, it's daily. Like, honestly, if you're, um, you're, listen, you're trying to listen to yourself over a long period of time to get the understanding of where your body is, like, um, but you're, try, you're also following stuff daily. So when you're looking at your journal, right? And so, for example, my, my client that only ate, like, probably not more than a thousand calories worth of food and felt like trash, like, you can figure out, like, I'm under eating these days. Oh, so, gotcha. Uh, so, yeah. So, if you're, if you are performing poorly, like, you know, say you, so I, I've played, I currently play at, um, I play in the, in the sixth role now. So, almost okay. like, a, like, almost a like my boy Conte. Oh, um, God. Oh, yeah. And so. That's uh, a hard, that's a hard position. I got the work rate. I love it. I just shut people down in the midfield. Um, so like if I'm sitting in the midfield and cause I know I can usually make 90 minutes, but there are days, you know, training sessions where I'm sitting in the middle and my brain is just foggy and I'm like, crap, what, what's going on? Like, have and I have the, I have, yeah, I don't have the mental sharpness. My positioning is poor. And if I think about it, you know, like, Oh, well, what did I eat today? Oh, I only ate a granola bar. I had a coffee and I haven't eaten since, you know, this morning. So having the wherewithal to realize, okay, am I properly fueling myself? Am I always hungry or is my performance suffering or can I not gain weight uh, are usually the biggest questions that I have to answer for myself. Um, and if your performance isn't great, like trying to assess these things, like, am I getting enough sleep? Am I recovering well? Am I training too hard? Am I eating enough? Uh, mm. are, the, are the biggest questions where you can kind of start to narrow down what, what is wrong with the process or what's going on with the process. Okay. That seems like, seems like a, that's pretty interesting. You go from, we went from sleep. So you got to track your sleep. You got to track your work, the amount of workload that you're putting on your body. Mm -hmm. And then you got to watch what you eat. Yeah. No, well, funny. It just goes down to the, the most basic the basics. It's simple. Overlook it. It's, it's simple, but also it's difficult. Right. And that's why, that's why there are these, there are professionals that at the professional level, there's a different profession for each of these niches. Um, but when we boil it down to the base, to the foundation, building your awareness and like, learning to connect those trends for yourself is very, very important. Um, I want to get back up to the, like eating, like being aware, watching what you eat is a little bit of a trick, like a trick kind of caveat because uh, what you eat uh, or what, what works best for me might not work best mm -hmm. for you, Berg, or might not work best for you, Andy. 
So like I know I like, and it's, it's taken me 20 something years to learn. Like I can deadlift super heavy and the best recovery for meal is a high fat meal. So like I'll go crush Popeye's, like I'll go crush some high, I'll crush some fried chicken. And the next day I can, I'll wake up and I'm like, all right, let's go. Like, let's go train hard again. Um, and that's different for other people. So my co-founder Rena can't eat fried chicken after training heavy. She will die. Uh, she just feels terrible. So, uh, and that's why learning what your, what your body responds well to, like whether or not you're documenting in a journal or you're taking photos of your food um, and taking these measures every day and seeing like, oh, how do I feel? Like, and being objective about it and not trying to, you know, not trying to bias yourself and uh, uh, like trying to be objective about it as objective as possible, obviously. I'm going to try to do that. Because um, it's been a while, man, since I you know wake up and I and I felt great. It's t- so it's tough. It's tough when you're working and you're doing all these things and you're you're doing yeah, all the man. stuff that you're doing, man. It's a it's a it's a juggle. I don't like, know, man. I sleep great. <laughs> That's all I can say. Andy's <laughs> like Andy's like 21. You know, he's, he I doesn't know. have a big responsibility yet. It's nice to be a student. Yeah. I would. It is really nice to be a student, student again. That would oh be, man, I don't know about that, dog. <laughs> if I could do it again and not take exams, I would definitely be a PT student. Oh yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. I don't want to. I want to take the boards. I don't want to take a final. No. <laughs> oh, I mean, if that's what you're saying, that's what you're saying. But I mean, we, we touched on a lot of big key points here today, right? We got sleep, we got workload, we got nutrition. But if you could have, let's say, I'm going to give you 30 seconds here to send a message to all the soccer players out there, 30 mm-hmm. seconds on how to best improve your recovery, what would you say to them? Maximize your sleep, eat well for your body. And make sure that you are not overtraining yourself. That's it. Boom. That's wow. it. Wow. That's that's perfect, guys. So if you're listening out there right now, that that's what you need to do. And I mean, if you guys want to train like a professional, you also have to recover like one. And yeah, they got all these people that are managing their nutrition and telling them exactly how much to work out and this and that. But we don't always have those kind of luxuries and if we can do these things in a simple way, I think it can really go a long way into improving yeah, yeah. how you're playing. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, sorry to, to I, I want to add like one little caveat into that. Yeah, and yeah, that's okay. Especially with pros. And I've had discussions with NBA athletes. I've talked with high level soccer players. Everybody wants to train like a pro, but remember these athletes train twice a day for maybe 90 minutes to two hours. And then they go home and they don't do anything. They go take a nap, they eat, they're, they don't have to worry about paying the bills, they don't have to worry about some boss on their back, and then they come back to training. But we don't have that responsibility, but most of us have different responsibilities. So these athletes have a completely different workload, different stressors, different things that contribute to their recovery. And so everybody, Berg, we've talked about this before, like yeah. going to cryotherapy is might be might not be the magic bullet for these players but they've got time to do it yeah they got time to do it but when it really comes down to it these athletes have the time to go to sleep they go to sleep they take care of their bodies they eat they eat pretty well for their body what what their body responds well to and they're not overtraining themselves they have professionals that you know tell them how to practice what they need to focus on um how hard to practice and if they're training too hard the, these 
there's plenty of people that are like, okay, we need to change the way that this workout goes, or you're not going 100%, you're going 60%. Um, and we don't have that luxury when you're not at the professional level, but if you can try and implement a lot of those things, it'll help so much. It'll help you so much. You said it, man. It's, it's crazy how you know, self-awareness is super important, especially in today's topic, man. Bingo. Self-awareness. Well, I think I think that's that's about it, right? I think you covered everything, right? Yeah, we we I think we have one more question, right, Bert? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, so you want, you want to take the lead on this, Erin? Oh. <laughs> so you got your starting eleven, right? Well, you don't have right. your starting eleven yet. You got your ten. You got ten players, but you're missing a start. Okay. And right. you have your choice between Aguero, Suarez, number seven, and Falcao. One gotta go, man. I mean, two gotta go. Two, two gotta, gotta go. Um, which one are you gonna pick? Ooh. Uh, so if I'm playing, I'm playing so a four-three-three. You need a striker. Need a striker. Yeah. I'm gonna play a four-three-three. Uh, Aguero, Suarez, Falcao. Mm. I'm keeping as much as I don't want to admit this. Suarez. Hands really? Down. Yes. Suarez <laughs> is. He's super. He's clinical. He's nasty. As much as I hated him on Liverpool because I'm a Chelsea supporter. That that boy can finish. That boy knows how to play. That boy, so, that boy can. Oh yeah, that boy can. And they should be happy with this answer because he's a boss of fan. Ah, <laughs> yeah, man. I know he's a boss of fan. There's only <laughs> one player out of those three where, when they were all in their prime, I felt like it was game over the second they touched the ball in the box. That's Falcao, man. I mean, man, he. Yeah, man. That's a good. That's a level. good point. I I I think I it's it's hard. Yeah, I was actually between Falcao and Suarez, but. You know, like watching Suarez play over the past couple of years, like uh, he's a pretty dynamic and versatile player. Oh, he's um, good. He's not he's good. And he's he's physical. He's pretty physical. He's not physical like Falcao, but he does a lot of other things. I think well that Falcao doesn't nope. doesn't. But it was a hard it was a hard choice. But unfortunately, I'm impressed. Suarez. He's, he's a, for a player who doesn't have, you know, <laughs> like the 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 pace that you want in the typical striker get. His awareness and his finish and just makes it fully it, yeah. he, oh man yeah he's got that he way he finishes that like his finish should be like 99 on fifa yeah <laughs> yeah seriously you want yeah if you're like i'm in the night you know the in extra time or like uh stoppage time of a really important match and i'm playing in that 4-3-3 and i want somebody that has the ball at their foot that's like i'm gonna take this home suarez definitely mm-hmm. aguero would make it for me if he wasn't getting injured all the time so um, uh, he always gets injured. Yeah, maybe maybe he needs some good physios, you know. <laughs> yeah, he needs he to needs watch his workload. Tips, he yeah. needs to track his workload, and he, he needs he to needs, sleep better. He needs <laughs> a higher match fit performance to manage his uh, recovery. That's All right. <laughs> Yo, thank you for coming on, man. Where where can the people find you? Because we talk a lot. We we talk about some interesting, and um. I don't want to say difficult, but it's definitely a podcast where we got to rewind and listen because we talked about a lot of things. But if people don't understand um, some of the stuff that we talk about today, how, what, where, where can they reach you? You can find me. So my, uh, my practice is called MatchFit Performance. Uh, the handle is MatchFit Performance on Instagram, MatchFitPerformance.com. Uh, you can follow me at Irwin Segea PT on Instagram and on Facebook too. Perfect. Yeah. Word, word. 
Yeah, but if any of you are in New York, whenever you come back to New York City, you should you all should come through, come check out the new space. Uh, and if you're listening to this and are in New York City, don't hesitate to drop a line or a DM and come say hi. Yeah. I will. Oh, thank you so much, Erwin. The physio, the soccer player, the strength coach, the recovery guru. You got it all, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for having me on. All right. All see right, y'all next week.